first uh, first time to be out this semester. Didn't get out much last year either. I usually am here pretty regularly. I've taught a number of classes over the years, and you know, for the most part, for the past uh, ten or eleven years, have been here almost every week during the year, but not for the past year and a half or so. So I feel kind of like uh, I've been missing out on a lot. I keep hearing little things here and there, you know, and I think, oh man, I got to get out to the Bible college. And then, you know, hey guys, can I come out and speak? Oh, maybe someday, you know, we'll see if we can work you into the schedule, they said. So finally, the day has arrived and here I am. So it's great to be with you, and um, Dave is very gracious, he's very kind, but, you know, keeping our eyes on Jesus is something that we definitely have to do. Um, do you guys know the word ubiquitous? You know what that word means? Ubiquitous means, it's kind of like omnipresent, it means everywhere at the same time. Um, I've nicknamed Jeremy Reese the ubiquitous Jeremy because everywhere I go, Jeremy is there. I see him everywhere. I've seen him. This is like the second or third time I've seen him in the past week or so. So, And it's unplanned, totally unexpected. He's just always there. So it's kind of like the Lord. You know, he's just, he's everywhere. And he dresses really cool too, especially with his pants tucked into his rain boots. I really like that. Okay. So, here we are, and what I thought I'd do today, and I, I do this you know, somewhat frequently, especially for those that I've not met before and, and maybe a, a new class that's coming in, is I like to talk about spiritual warfare. And so I think we'll do that today. How many of you are here? Um, this is your first semester. How many of you? Oh, great. All right. That's awesome. How many four-semester students do we have? Okay. So you guys know me, right? A few of you four-semester guys, you were, you've were you been around. Well, good. Great to see so many new faces. So we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm sure you have your Bible with you. And I'm going to read from verse 10 through verse 18. And then we'll talk about this important subject. And I think what, you know, probably is going to happen, and I think it will be good and helpful for you, is you're going to realize that some of the stuff that, that's been going on, some of the stuff you've been going through, some of the stuff that's been swirling around in your head, you're going to realize, wow, that is what that is. That's spiritual warfare. Because one of the things about the devil is that he's subtle and he disguises himself and he sort of hides behind things and we don't always realize that he's the one who's at work, um, but he's, he's there. And what, what a study like this does is it exposes the fact that he's there and so it gives us an understanding of what's going on, and then as we get an understanding of what's going on, of course, then that helps us to be able to combat it. If I don't realize that I'm being attacked, I don't know how to defend myself, because I'm not even aware that that's what's going on. But but when the lights go off, on, when the lights go on, and I realize that, man, this this is a spiritual attack, then that enables me to strengthen myself and really you know, realize that I'm, I'm engaged in this battle and I've got, to, I've got to learn how to fight it. When I was a young Christian, I remember, um, you know, having been a Christian for a while and everything was great and the whole thing was so exciting, this new life in Christ and, you know, going to Bible studies and sharing the gospel with people and being in prayer meetings and meeting all kinds of new people and, you know, serving the Lord. And it was all great. It was all exciting. But then something happened. And just kind of suddenly, out of nowhere, there was just like this cloud that just sort of came and hovered over me. You know, this dark cloud, this kind of depression. And, you know, this feeling of sort of agitation and 
um, a little bit of anxiety. And, and I remember like, wow, what, you know, what is this? And I'd never heard of spiritual warfare, that those words had never been spoken to me by anybody. Didn't even know that such a thing existed. And I, I was talking to a guy at a Bible study one night, and I just happened to say to him, man, you know, I just kind of, everything was great. And then all of a sudden, it described to him what was going on. And he just looked at me and goes, that's spiritual warfare. I said, wow, what, what's spiritual warfare? He said, well, that's... You know, as Christians, we're in a battle and the devil comes and attacks us. And so the light went on for me. And from that point forward, although it didn't necessarily, you know, take everything away, at least I knew what was going on and I knew that there was a way to combat it. So that's what I want to pass on to you guys today. So, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive from you today wisdom and understanding and, Lord, discernment to be able to recognize the enemy's hand and to know how to combat that, to know how to resist and to stand against the wiles of the devil. So that's our prayer. Guide us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So as Paul has written this great letter to the church in Ephesus, and as he's talked about so many important things regarding our salvation, all that the Lord has done for us and how we're to respond, how we're to live our lives in a, in a manner that glorifies him, he comes now to this last point. He says, now finally, so before I finish, let me say this. I, I want to remind you of these things. And he tells us we, we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And we need to put on the whole armor of God so we can stand against the wiles of the devil. So Paul just brings right to the forefront, hey, there's a devil. There are these forces, he calls them principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. And a principality is a, it's a spirit that rules over a geographical region. And so according to the biblical picture, the physical world that we live in is ruled over by spiritual beings. We see um, a great uh, picture of this in the 10th chapter of Daniel. And there we find Daniel who was um, exiled and living in um, Babylon at the time. And he was praying. He was seeking God. There were all kinds of you know, things that were happening there with the Persians and the Babylonians and, the, uh, of course, the Israelites who had been taken captive. And, and anyway, Daniel's seeking the Lord. And he says, you know, he's fasting, he's praying. And for, for three weeks... He's dedicating himself intensely to this pursuit of God in prayer over these things that pertain to his nation. And he says at the end of three full weeks, this messenger from heaven appeared to him. And the messenger came and he said, Daniel, you know, great, a man greatly beloved. I've come to basically I've come to give you an answer to your request. And he said this then the. The messenger said this. He said, from the day that you 
began to pray and seek God, I was dispatched to come to you. So 21 days have passed. From the day you started, the moment you started to pray, I was sent to come to you as I'm here right now. But, but it's taken him three weeks. And he says, because the prince of Persia resisted me. So this, this angelic messenger is telling Daniel, I've been trying to get to you for three weeks, but I've been held up by these demonic spiritual forces. And it wasn't until Michael, your prince, came and fought with me that I was freed up to come and to give you this message. So that gives us a little bit of a picture as to what's really going on. And that's why Paul says, remember that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood because our tendency is to think that everything that's going on around us is just related to the, the fallen, sinful uh, nature and, and behavioral patterns of, of people. And, of course, it is that, but it's more than that. There are these principalities and powers. Or there are these demonic forces that are actually manipulating and controlling things from behind the scenes. So that's why Paul's saying, we, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Remember that. And a lot of times, things that are happening that are... Uh, negatively impacting us as God's people and as his servants, if we look close enough, we're going to see that behind the scenes, this is the enemy doing this. This is the enemy. It's, it's coming through a human being, perhaps, but that person is being manipulated by these spirits. That's why he says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Don't, don't just look at the, the human instrument that's causing the trouble, realize that there's a spiritual power behind that. Now, so he goes on and he, he urges us to, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And then he goes through uh, a list of things here that would make up the armor of God. But he says in um, verse 16... He says, above all, taking the shield of faith with, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And this is what I want to focus on primarily today. The fiery darts of the wicked one. Or another translation is the flaming arrows of the wicked one. And so here Paul is talking about these flaming arrows. He's talking about the wiles of the devil. The word wile could be translated the schemes so he's talking about the, the plot that Satan devises against us. Uh, the word uh, wiles could be translated as tricks. So this is, this is what Satan's doing. He's plotting. He's scheming. He's, he's looking to set a trap. He's wanting to trip us up. He's wanting to trick us or deceive us in order to get um, a grip in our lives. And so there's those wiles of the devil, but then there's the fiery darts of the wicked one. And although this probably is broader than, than just what I'm about to talk about, it, but it certainly includes what I'm about to talk about, and this would be Satan's attack upon the mind. See, one of the devil's primary targets is your mind. The the center of thought. That's where the enemy comes and he attacks us. He attacks us in the realm of the mind. And we, we've got to be aware of this. Now we know from even some uh, biblical examples that this kind of thing takes place. Back in the Old Testament, we see um, David at a certain point he does something that he was forbidden to do as a king. He was forbidden to number the people. God had said through Moses back in the law, there, there were certain things kings were not to do. They were not to number the people. They were not to multiply wives and they were not to multiply uh, gold, silver and horses. And so it was just something that the king wasn't to do. They weren't to number the people. But David, it says, he called his general Joab and he said, I want you to go out and number the people. And... 
he, uh, you know, seemed to be just, you know, this was his idea and he wanted it done and it was going to happen. But we read that it was actually Satan who put it in the mind of David to do that. It says Satan stood up against Israel and had uh, David numbered the people. So we see the devil's influencing David's thinking process. David didn't realize that at the time. It wasn't like he knew that, hey, the devil's telling me to number the people, so I'm going to go do that. It was just that here was this idea that he had, this thought. He couldn't shake it. And he, he just, this is what he needed to do. But the scripture tells us that was the enemy who did it. Fast forward to the New Testament. And we come to the Apostle Peter. And remember the, the incident where Peter had this, this amazing revelation about who Jesus was. Jesus is asking his followers the question, you know, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, oh, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're John the Baptist risen from the dead, some say you're one of the other prophets or whatever. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Simon, you're blessed because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father revealed this to you. So Simon has this revelation from God about who Jesus is. Jesus then goes on to say, you're right, I'm the Messiah, but listen, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified, killed, so forth. Peter says, not so, Lord. That's never going to happen to you. What does Jesus say to him? He says, get behind me, Satan. So here's Peter on the, you know, few seconds ago, he's having a, a revelation from God. You're the Messiah. And then immediately afterwards, you're never going to go to the cross. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Satan was influencing Peter. Now, again, Peter, no doubt, had no idea that that was happening. But the point is, that's what was going on. Satan was influencing the mind of Peter. And so we know from biblical history, and we know from just the long history of the church, and many examples that could be referred to from the servants of God throughout the ages, that this is one of the ways that the enemy attacks us. He attacks us in our minds. He comes against us in our thinking process. So I want to give you a few things that the devil uses in this uh, area of attacking the mind so that you're aware of what's going on when these things happen. Okay? So number one, probably the most frequent and the most common way Satan attacks us in the realm of our mind is to put condemning thoughts into our head. Put condemning thoughts into our head. He comes along and he reminds us of our failures. He reminds us of our sins. And then he points a finger at us and says, you know what? God couldn't really forgive you for that. You are a wretched, miserable, sinful person. No way could you ever really rise above your sin no way could you ever really serve God you know it's doubtful that God could even love you because you are such a miserable wretch now I might not use that exact terminology but that's the kind of uh, thought that sort of settles upon the mind and it quite often it happens not exclusively but quite often it happens on the heels of some failure so we all fail at certain points, don't we? We all sin, still, even though we're Christians. We think things we shouldn't think. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. And the moment we do it, we feel horrible. And what happens, man? The devil rushes in as quick as he can to capitalize on it. Say, oh, look, you did that. And since you did that, God is finished with you. It's over. You might as well give up. You might as well forget it. 
you're never going to make it as a Christian. You might as well just bail out on this whole church thing. Everybody knows that you're a hypocrite. And on and on and on and on and on. That's what happens in our heads. I was just talking to a friend yesterday, a pastor. And a great guy who knows the word and loves God and has ministered to many, many people. But he did a stupid thing. And the moment he did it, he couldn't believe he did it. It was a stupid, sinful thing. And the moment he did it, on the one hand, of course, he said, Oh, God, forgive me. But immediately there came in all of these kinds of suggestions that that's it. It's over. You've gone too far. There's no turning back now. You can never be restored. You're out of the ministry. You need to quit. It's, you know, that's it. That's the voice of Satan. That's what he says. And, but he doesn't, like I said, he doesn't always only do it on the heels of some recent failure. He will dig back into your past. And he will bring to your remembrance things that you have long ago forgotten that you even said or did. And he'll go, hey, remember this? And you're like, oh. Gosh, I forgot about that. Oh, yes, you did forget about it. But this is reality. This is what you did. Oh, you think you can go on and be a Christian now? You think you could go on and follow Jesus? You think you could serve God? And he comes in with this kind of condemnation. And like I said, this is so common. It is so common. I don't know that there's anybody that has not been through it. Can anybody in this room identify with what I'm talking about? Anybody ever feel that way? Right, okay. So guess what? You've been spoken to by the devil. It's good to know. It's good to know that it's not God speaking to you because that's what the devil wants you to think. He wants you to think that this is what God is saying to you. He wants you to think that God is the one who says, hey, it's over. You blew it, man. There's no, you know, there's, no, there's no recovery from this. You are on the shelf. Don't even try to advance from here. That, that's what he wants you to think. So how do we combat that? Well, there's one great statement in Romans chapter 1, or Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that deals the death blow to that whole thing. And this is it. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. So if you're getting condemned, know this, it's not Jesus who's condemning you. Paul goes on in that 8th chapter and he asks the question, he says, who is he that condemns? He said, it is Christ who died who rather is risen from the dead, and he's at the right hand of God making intercession for you. Paul's saying, hey, Jesus isn't condemning you. He's actually praying for you. He's interceding for you right now. So who is it that's condemning us or seeking to condemn us? It's Satan. But the good news is that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as I was talking to my friend yesterday, I said, look, the moment you did that, did you repent? Did you confess your sin? He said, yes, that very moment. Okay, then guess what? You're forgiven. The moment we confess, the moment we repent, God forgives us. And he doesn't bring it up. If it comes up again in the future, it's not him bringing it up. It's the devil that's bringing it up. So be aware of that. Understand that that's the way the enemy works. And don't let him lay this guilt and condemnation on you. And don't let him drive you to that place of wanting to just give up over that. I had a girl in my office alone quite a few years ago. And sweet girl, she came in and she just... You know, she just had in her mind this idea that God couldn't love her. That her sins had just excluded her from ever being able to really, you know, know the Lord or, or be loved by Him or experience Him or whatever. And, and I'm talking to her and I'm trying to get at, like, okay, so 
you know, is there any specific thing? And with her, there wasn't really any, it wasn't like at some point she did this horrific thing and she could just never get over it. There, there wasn't anything specific. It was more just sort of a general feeling like this is, I don't know, this is just the way I feel. And I said to her, I said, you know what, listen. I said, I want you to hear me on this. I said, I am a dad. And I have, and I used one of my daughters as an illustration. I said, I have this daughter. And, and this daughter of mine can be naughty. She can be really naughty. But I said, you know, there has never been, even in her naughtiest movement, there has never been one second that I haven't absolutely loved her. I absolutely love her. Even when she's naughty, I still love her. And I said, now listen, Jesus said this. Jesus said, if we who are evil know how to be good to our children, how much more our Heavenly Father? So I said, look, I want to tell you right now, God is not mad at you. He's never been mad at you. He loves you. He's loved you unceasingly. Now, I don't know if that ended up helping her in the end or not, but that's the truth. And maybe somebody here needed to hear that today. That's the truth. God loves you. And he's not condemning you. He doesn't condemn us. Grace is what he does to us. He bestows it upon us. And, you know, sometimes you'll say, well, yeah, I know God has grace, but, you know, I really sin. Well, what the heck do you think grace is for? You think it's for, like, fake sins? Or, like, little tiny sins? Or not really, like, real sins? No, grace is for sin. Like, big sins. Like, every sin. Like, horrific sins. That's what grace is for. Because Jesus died for all of those sins, regardless of what they are. So who is he that condemns? It's not Christ. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Satan can throw these things at us, but don't let them stick. Blow them off. I don't, I don't receive that. I don't believe that. I believe that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, number one, condemnation. Uh, secondly, uh, the devil sometimes will come along and he will try to plague us in our minds with doubt. He'll try, just to, get, he'll try to get us to doubt everything. He'll try to get you to doubt everything from God's existence to the truth of God's word to who Jesus is and what he did right down to God loving you. And that anyone, he'll, he'll try to get any of that to stick that he can get to stick. If he, if he can get you to doubt that God exists, okay, that's fine. But he'll come along and he will just uh, throw these arrows at us, these, these flaming arrows uh, of, of doubt. Our minds sometimes will go through seasons of being plagued by doubt. But remember, this is the enemy. Now, we can't help the stuff that comes into our head a lot of the times. Have you ever noticed that there's a lot of stuff that comes into your head that you don't want there, that you didn't invite there, you didn't uh, go through a thought process to get there, it's just suddenly there and you don't like it. Well, that's, that's what the devil does. And we can't stop that from happening necessarily. It's like somebody said... I can't stop a bird from flying over my head, but I can stop it from building a nest on my head. So I can't stop these thoughts from coming into my head, but what I can do is I can refuse to embrace them. And to have the thought is not the sin. This is what happens. The devil throws a thought, a doubt, like a doubt kind of a thing, or maybe a bad thought. We'll talk about that in a second. He'll throw that into our head, and then he'll jump back real quick, go, oh, you thought that. You thought that. Or you doubted God. You don't really believe. You don't have any faith. That, that's what he'll do. And before you can even, you know, get your head on straight, suddenly you're just in this place of like, oh no, I don't believe God. I've doubted God. I, 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 had, I questioned the, the truth of the Bible. No, that's the enemy. 
So we've got to be aware of, of these kinds of tactics, that that's what he does. And I can tell you guys, personally, I have been tempted to doubt everything there is to believe about God. I have been tempted to doubt it. I've gone through seasons where my mind has just been bombarded with the temptation to doubt. I've had times where the suggestion is that, you know, look, you know, God couldn't have created all this stuff, you know. It, it probably evolved. Or, you know, Jesus, how could Jesus really be God? I mean, how could that happen, you know? How could a man become God? And when my, in, in my early days as a Christian, a lot of these things, uh, as I was attacked by them back then, the good thing about it is they, they forced me to have to study and seek the Lord and call out to Him and learn and it helped me to grow. But it, but it wasn't necessarily a fun process. It was a fight. It was a battle. But I can say today that I've come through those kinds of things with a stronger faith than I ever had before I went into them. So remember, doubt is not a sin. It's just a temptation. And God, here's the wonderful thing about God too. The God of the Bible is not, he's not insecure at all. He's not temperamental if you have a little doubt, he doesn't go, oh, I saw that doubt. Oh, you doubted me, huh? All right, well, you, you know, you just get out of here. Because I don't tolerate that. That's, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says, come, let us reason together. You know, if you come to the Lord and say, Lord, I, you know, I don't know, gosh, Creation? Did you really create six days? All that, Lord, is that really? You know, you come to God. You can talk to Him about that. You can express to Him your doubts, and you can say, "Lord, would you help me with this?" And you know what? He'll do it. He'll show you. He'll teach you. He'll bring you along in your understanding. He says, "Come, let us reason together." So realize that. The temptation to doubt is not the doubt. It's only when we embrace it, lay hold of it, begin to act upon it, that's when, of course, it becomes a problem. That's when it becomes sin. So we've got condemnation, doubt. Another thing that the devil will try to trip us up with is fear. He'll try to get us to fear. He'll threaten us with evil consequences to obedience to God. Man, if you really give your life all the way to Jesus, do you know what he's going to make you do? Do you know where he's going to send you? Do you know how horrible it's going to be there? And in your mind, it's like, oh no. I never wanted to go to the jungle. I've heard about those giant rodents and those massive spiders and oh God. That's a girl, of course, that would be saying that, right? Well, my daughter's anyway. But he tries to strike fear in us to keep us out of the will of God. And we've got to recognize that that's what he does. He threatens evil consequences for obedience to God. If you do this, if you really follow the Lord, you know what's going to happen? You're going to lose all your friends. Those people are going to hate you. They're going to mock you. They're going to disown you. or what, Those kinds of things. Or something horrible is going to happen to you. Or something horrible is going to happen to somebody you love. I remember years ago, I was just literally on my knees. I was a young pastor at the time. And I was on my knees and I was praying. And I was just, you know, Lord, I'm giving you my life. I just want you to take my life and, you know, just this kind of thing and all of a sudden in my mind like a lightning bolt shot into my mind if you do that your kids are going to die and man it like stopped me in an instant from praying it's like what and you know I was able to get my composure and realize well, that is so demonic but that's the kind of thing Satan will do don't give yourself over to God entirely because you don't know what's going to happen I like to tell this story because it illustrates it really well. But there was a man back in the 1700s named John Wesley. You guys will hear about him at some point or another here in the Bible College. He was a great evangelist in England. And 
Yet, when he was called into the ministry, he went through this season of absolute fear that he would die if he took up the call. And there was another man who was his, kind of his colleague in ministry at this point, And God was beginning to work and there was a great revival that was breaking out. And this other man, George Whitfield, he had to leave England for a season to come to what were the American colonies at the time. And so he, he went to Wesley and he said, can you stand in for me with the ministry? He was pre- they were preaching at the time to like 10,000 people people that would gather together in fields to hear the gospel and so the minute the invitation came from Whitfield for Wesley to take up that ministry Wesley was stricken with the fear that if he took up the task it would mean certain death and so he refrained from committing and he went to the Bible and he did a stupid thing He did one of those things where he just closed his eyes, flipped through the Bible, and then stopped, put his finger somewhere, opened his eyes and read it. And on three different occasions when he did that, every single passage seemed to say the same thing. Basically, yeah, you're right, you're going to die. And then he went to his friends. This is what's going on. This is my fear. What do you think? Oh, man, don't do it. God's showing you you're going to die. But it just kept coming up over and over again and Whitfield kept pressing him and finally Wesley threw up his hands and said if I die I die he just had to take he had to take the call well he was 45 years old at the time he did die when he was 92 so he died like everybody will but it wasn't for about 50 years but you know here's the deal During that, the next, however many years it was, one of the greatest movings of God's Spirit in the whole history of the world took place, and he was one of the key figures in that. Now, somehow, I don't know how, somehow the devil kind of could foresee what was going to happen. He could see in the spiritual realm that God was moving, that people's hearts were being prepared, and that God would send out preachers, and he somehow knew that this guy was going to be involved, so... He tries to stop it before it can ever get going. And Wesley almost succumbed to it. But he finally just yielded to the Lord. So expect those kinds of things to happen. As you try to follow the Lord, as you go forward with Him, as you seek to to do His will, don't be surprised if suddenly you're overcome with fear about certain things The enemy will try to intimidate you and keep you from moving forward with the Lord. And sometimes it it might not only just you know be something you experience, but it can be others around you. I know for myself as a father, there have been times with my children where God's calling them in a direction, and I'm the one who's all fearful about it. Like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if the Lord really wants you to do that because this could be very dangerous. And you know, I've had to go. Wait a second. I've got to trust the Lord with this too. So, one of the devil's fiery darts to intimidate us by fear. And then, real quickly, uh, and I touched on it a moment ago, but um, evil thoughts and imaginations. And this, this happens sometimes. We go through periods sometimes seasons where again it's that sort of lightning bolt thing where we it's not my own imagination or it's not a a thought process that i've worked myself into but suddenly i find in my mind that there are evil thoughts in my mind sometimes blasphemous thoughts this is this is the way the devil works and many of god's servants throughout the ages have had these kinds of experiences and they've written them down And they've described, uh, John Bunyan described how when he was preaching the gospel, he was in his mind being tormented and tempted to blaspheme Christ. So he's preaching the gospel, but in his mind, there's a voice screaming, you know, blasphemous things and urging him to speak out those blasphemous things. That's crazy, but it happens. But... 
remember the key is those those are not my thoughts. I don't own those thoughts. Charles Spurgeon, the great Victorian preacher, he had this kind of a battle that went on in his own life. And he became so discouraged at one point he wanted to quit the ministry because he just was overwhelmed with these evil thoughts that were plaguing him. And he went to his grandfather, who was also a, a pastor and a well-respected man, and he told him what was going on. And his grandfather just said this to him. He said, I just have one question for you. He said, do you enjoy the thoughts? And Spurgeon's response was, no, I, I hate them. And he said, then don't own them. They're not yours. They're the devil's. And you see, there are times when the devil will do that. He's ruthless. And he will come in at the most sacred moments sometimes to a time of worship where you're there really trying to open your heart to the Lord and really trying to express your love to Jesus. And all of a sudden, there's some blasphemous thought or some sexually perverted image that comes into your mind or something like that. That's the work of the devil. That's what he does. And again, the key for us is, I don't own that thought. No, I'm sorry. I, I don't own that. That's not mine. I'm not claiming ownership to that. I did not think that, would not think that, hate that thought, and I dismiss it. But again, it doesn't mean that it won't happen again. It does. It occurs. This is the work of the devil. This is the kind of thing he does. And so thoughts and sometimes even <coughs> beyond a thought, you know, there's there's something beyond thoughts, which would be like an imagination, you know, sort, sort of more of a, a story that kind of develops in your head. And the enemy can do that. He can come and just kind of take you on a little uh, ride mentally and, and uh, spin a, a tale and, you know, uh, just tell you a story that's essentially evil. And you got to suddenly wake yourself up and go, wait a second, what? No, I reject that in the name of Jesus. And then finally, Satan, what he wants to do in the end is he just wants to stop us from loving the Lord, following the Lord, and moving forward in our faith. And so, He's going to do all of these things that we talked about, as well as other things, to basically try to discourage and depress us. He wants to discourage us. And sometimes what happens is, is there's just like I said it at the beginning, and maybe you can identify with it. It's just like a cloud, just like a dark cloud just comes and settles on your head. It's a depression. You don't even know why. You just are discouraged. You just feel down. You just feel hopeless. You just, you don't even know what it is, why it is. It's Satan. That's what he does. He discourages us, or he seeks to anyway. And he comes along and he depresses us. And sometimes he triggers thoughts like we talked about with condemnation, all, that. all of those things. Depression is kind of like everything all put together and heaped on us then with a massive dose of despair. Like this is just what it is and there's no way out. There's no overcoming it or, or whatever. And that feeling of hopelessness is demonic. It's demonic. That's Satan. Hopelessness. He wants, to, he wants to pin us down under this idea that it's just hopeless. Just despair. Just give up. Just walk away. Just go kill yourself. Just those are the kinds of things. The number one component in suicide is Satan. Satan drives people to suicide. There's other components. There's plenty of other things that are involved. But there is no doubt in my mind that the devil is the main ingredient in suicide. But that's the end of, of despair, really. So these are the things that we are contending with. 
These are the things that you, as God's children, this is part of what we're doing. We are the children of God. We're the servants of God. But what does that mean? It means really that we're in war. We're all enlisted in God's army, whether we realized it or not. We're in a battle. It's a spiritual battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And our weapons, the weapons of our warfare, Paul says to the Corinthians, are not carnal. You can't fight the devil with human means. They're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And so what are those weapons? He tells us here, he talks about the armor of God. And the armor of God, just to summarize it really quickly, is essentially just different aspects of the word of God. Notice he starts with... um, he starts with the truth, having girded your waist with the truth. So the truth of God's word, that's where the armor starts. And then the, the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ that's been imparted to us, the righteous life that God empowers us to live. Those are the things that, that fight the devil off. The, um, the determination to, to get the gospel out the, the taking up of the shield of faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And then uh, the helmet of salvation. So these are, these are all different aspects of God's word where we, we learn from it, we uh, wrap ourselves up in it, and then we are able to advance. And then he says, taking the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the word there... When it says, which is the word of God, it's a, it's, it's, would mean like a specific word. So, in a sense, you have two things. The armor of God, the, the armor of God that protects us is God's word generally in, in all of its totality. The sword is the offensive weapon, right? The helmet, the shield, all of those things, those are protective. They're defensive. So, we defend ourselves... By immersing ourselves in the, the truth of God's word, just the totality of truth. But we're not here just in a defense posture. We're not here just to hold ground. We are here to take ground. So how do we take ground? Well, that's where we use our sword. We move forward with the sword. And so the sword is the specific word of God. It's, it's God's word for that issue, for that occasion. And the, the best illustration of this is with Jesus in the wilderness with the devil. Remember how Jesus dealt with Satan? That's a picture of how we're to do it. Satan comes and says, if you're the son of God, take these stones and turn them into bread. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see how the response of Jesus corresponds directly to the temptation of Satan? And in each case, it's the same thing. It's a directly corresponds to the thing that the enemy is attacking us with. And so that's how we move forward. We have the general word of God that's undergirding us, but then we have to have that specific word for that particular situation, whether it be a temptation or whether it be the call to advance the gospel. But essentially, the weapons of our warfare that are mighty are wrapped up in the Word of God, in prayer, in being filled with the Spirit, praise, worship. Those are the things that are the weapons that God's given us. And as we immerse ourselves in these things, this is how we become strong, this is how we defend ourselves against the enemy, and this is how we ultimately advance. So, you guys... You might not realize it because you probably, like most people, you don't think you're real important or very significant. And you probably think, well, why would the devil bother me? I'm nobody. Well, he will bother you because you're a child of God. First of all, just simply because of that, because he hates your father and he hates you. So he'll harass you simply because of that. But 
he will also bother you particularly because you're here doing something that potentially is a threat to his kingdom. You're here growing in your faith and getting yourself equipped to do something for God. And if he can discourage that before you can ever get out there on the battlefield, then he's happy to do that. There's not a single person in this room that he's not interested in. He is interested in discouraging each and every single person here. So don't get fooled into thinking that, well, I'm exempt from this because I'm nobody. No, you're somebody. You're God's child. And so this is real. And like I said in the beginning, some of you are going, yeah, Man, I know it's real. I've been going through all the stuff you're talking about. I can't believe that you said that. Well, just know this. That's what happens when you follow Jesus. It is a battle. It's a fight right to the very end. But, most importantly, it's the good fight. We're all ultimately called to fight. Everybody's kind of fighting one way or another, something. But we get to fight the good fight. We get to fight under the leadership of the captain of our salvation who already won the war. We're just coming along in these little battles here and there and helping clean things up to get ready for the establishment of his kingdom. So may God strengthen you guys and bless you and may he just really encourage you through these truths and may you put on the whole armor of God and find yourself being able to recognize when the enemy's at work and there's so many other things we could talk about but we're out of time but recognize when the enemy's at work and then go back and just apply God's word address it with prayer Turn to him in worship and see God's blessing that will come. All right? God bless. Lord, we thank you for this time. And I pray for each and every one of these young men and women here that you would bless their day, enrich them. Lord, guard them, keep them, protect them from the evil one. But Lord, we know we're not exempt from the enemy's uh, tactics. And we know that you even allow it at times to... Strengthen us, because the only way we can learn to fight is by fighting. So help us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In Jesus' name, amen.